Uh, a little while ago, um, I was in Niagara for a meeting, and afterwards, a few friends and, and myself uh, decided to go out for dinner. And so we had, you know, the classic lengthy period of deliberations in the parking lot, and then we finally agreed on a restaurant, and we all set off uh, in our own vehicle so that we could kind of go our own way afterwards. And because I didn't know the area very well, I got my GPS all set up, and then I set out on my way. But once I got, on, got onto uh, the highway, I saw my friend uh, Mandy. Some of you know Mandy. She has spoken here before. I saw my friend Mandy up ahead of me, and so I thought, oh, I'll just tuck in behind her, and then we'll get to the restaurant at the same time. And so that's what I did. Uh, I tucked in behind Mandy, and along we went, cruising down the highway. When Mandy sped up, I sped up. When Mandy slowed down, I slowed down. When Mandy changed lanes, I changed lanes. And then after a little while, uh, Mandy put on her blinker to take an exit off of the highway, but my GPS was telling me that I should keep going for a little bit longer. And so I had to make one of those split-second decisions about who to trust. And uh, the, the Google Maps woman has let me down before. You know, I'm sure some of you can relate. And so I stuck with Mandy. I figured she's local. She probably uh, knows a secret shortcut to get to this restaurant. And so I, I turned on my blinker and I got off of the highway. And I figured that eventually the Google Maps woman would do that recalculating the route thing and that we would all be back on the same page. But instead, uh, Mandy kept taking me further in one direction and Google Maps kept trying to turn me around and send me back in the other direction. And so eventually, I realized that something wasn't right. And when I got to the next uh, set of lights, I squinted really hard to, to look into the vehicle ahead of me, and I realized that the back of the person's head in that vehicle looked nothing like the back of my friend Mandy's head at all. And so needless to say, as it turned out, that was because the person I was following wasn't my friend Mandy. And so I was late for dinner, and the, whoever it was that was driving that car uh, was probably somewhere on the spectrum between a little unsettled and completely freaked out <laughs> by the fact that I'd been following them so closely for the last 15 minutes. But this whole situation taught me a very important life lesson. And that's this. Every now and then, it's important to stop to make sure that you're actually following the person that you think you're following. Because if you're not actually following the person that you think you're following, you're never going to end up getting to the place that you want to go. And this is true when it comes to finding our way to dinner plans, but it's also true when it comes to our discipleship, when it comes to living as followers of Jesus. Because we're living in a world where we're surrounded by noise and distractions and voices that are calling out to us, telling us how we should be living our lives about what really matters and about what it means to be successful and who we are and what we should be living for. And so it's easy to get pulled off course from the way of life that Jesus calls us into. 
And sometimes we can uh, get off course without even realizing that he's not the one behind the steering wheel (laughs) in the car that's in front of us. When Jesus walked around in this world and went about his ministry, he didn't just invite people to believe in him. He didn't sit people down and walk them through a set of theological beliefs that he was asking them to ascribe ascribe to. He didn't sit them down and say the uh, sinner's prayer with them and then send them off on their way. Instead, he was constantly putting people into this point of decision by inviting them to actually follow him. To actually follow him, not on Twitter, not, not like the one click, not like on Instagram, right? The kind of following that we're used to, to today doesn't come with a very big cost to us. But Jesus invited people to follow him in real life, to leave behind the life that they knew and to enter into a new way of life that he was offering them. He invited them to walk alongside him as he taught and as he healed the sick and as he did all kinds of works and miracles that pointed people towards the kingdom of God. And he extends that same invitation to us today. And here's here's the thing. Our decision to follow Jesus isn't just a one-time kind of thing. We have a new program here uh, called Kinder Sprouts. It's designed to help get kids ready for kindergarten. And this week, I was watching a teacher show these kids how to walk in a line. And it was hilarious, like the things we take for granted, right? She's teaching them how to walk in a line. And every 10 seconds, she had to stop the kids and kind of regroup them, pull them back together, line them up again. And one at a time, she had to tell each child who they were supposed to be following, Have you ever heard the expression herding cats? (laughs) This is like the best picture of herding cats that I've, I've ever seen. Following someone is an active process. It's something that we continually decide to keep doing as we put one foot in front of the other and move forward one step at a time. And the same thing is true in our discipleship to Jesus. It's active. It's ongoing. It's something that impacts the way that we live and the decisions that we make each and every day. And we all have times, right, like those kids, where we get pulled off course, sometimes in big ways, sometimes in small ways. And when we do, he just invites us back, right, by his grace to a life of discipleship that's guided and empowered by his spirit. We are heading into an exciting new season as a church community. Uh, Next week, Pastor Keith is going to be starting a series that's going to help to guide us through this season of transition. We're going to be putting some teams together, as you heard a little bit bit about uh, this morning in the announcement. We're going to put teams together who are going to be praying for our church, who are going to be sifting through what our needs are as we move forward. We're going to be talking about our identity and our vision and what it will look like for us to be the kind of church that God's calling us to be in our, in, our, in our community. And there are, are a lot of unknowns for us right now about what the future holds. But at the same time, there's an awful lot to be excited about as we work through this transition and move forward to what God calls us, uh, calls us to next. And as we move from here to there, 
as we journey through this transition and come out on the other side, there's one thing that matters more than anything else. There's one thing that we can bank our lives on in terms of who God's calling us to be. There's one thing that will hold us together and lead us forward every step of the way as we move through this process. And that is our commitment to following Jesus, to actually following Jesus. We're a community of people who are seeking to follow Jesus and who are together learning what it looks like to live that out in practice. Now, when Jesus asked people to follow him, he didn't always get the same reaction. And this morning, we're going to look at two passages that describe different scenarios where Jesus approached people with this invitation to follow him. And we're going to reflect on where we find ourselves within these two different stories. So first, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew 8, uh, sorry, 4, verses 18 to 22. Matthew 4, 18 to 22. So at this point in the book of Matthew, Jesus has been baptized. He spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert being tempted by Satan. And now he's just kicking off his public ministry. And so that's where we find ourselves in this story this morning. Matthew 4, 18 to 22. It says this. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. So Jesus is out for a walk on the beach, and he sees two fishermen, Peter and Andrew. And these guys are out fishing, right? They're, they're, uh, they're working, they're catching fish. This is what they do for a living. And in this world, uh, fishermen weren't terribly wealthy people, uh, but they made more than about 90% of the population at the time who would have been considered peasants. So they typically made enough money to live on and then to have a little bit left over afterwards. Fishing was uh, hard work. It could at times be dangerous work, but it was work that was respected. And it was work that allowed them to live with a relative amount of security and stability in their lives. Verse 19. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Now, many of you have probably heard this story before, right? This is a familiar story. And sometimes when we get really familiar with these stories in the Bible, we can forget just how radical what's happening actually is. But think about what just happened in our passage. We don't know whether Jesus had met Peter and Andrew before. He might have, right? Most likely, they'd heard about this new rabbi who was traveling around Galilee and announcing the kingdom of God. But Matthew doesn't tell us any, any of that. What Matthew wants to emphasize is this critical point of decision that Jesus puts Peter and Andrew into. They had no idea what their future would hold if they set out with Jesus. And yet the trajectory for the entire rest of their lives 
would depend on how they responded to Jesus' call in this moment. And what do they do? They don't take Jesus' number down. Right? That's maybe what I would have done. They don't take down his number and think on it for a little bit, decide that they're going to you know, call him back when they figure out what they're going to do. They don't ask Jesus for a contract. You know, they don't uh, ask him for more clarification about what they could expect. There was something about Jesus and his message that compelled them to believe that what he was inviting them into was worth giving up everything that they'd known. And they laid down their nets, their nets that had been their source of income, their source of security, the nets that had shaped their identity and represented everything that was familiar to these guys. They laid down their nets and they followed Jesus. Verse 21. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So Jesus comes across two more men who are out fishing. They're brothers. This is a family business. They've been out fishing with their dad, and Jesus calls them to follow him. And again, the passage says, immediately, Immediately, they left their boat and their dad behind and they followed Jesus. They had no idea what laid before them or how things would unfold, but somehow they knew that life with Jesus was worth more than anything else. And along they went. So this is one picture that scripture gives us of how people responded to Jesus' call to follow him. And we know that these guys were far from perfect, right? And this is great news if you're anything like me, because it means that having it all together isn't a prerequisite for a life of discipleship to Jesus. As the gospels go on, we'll see that these guys fumble through, right? They just fumble through so much of what Jesus is trying to teach them. Often they don't understand what he's doing. There are times where they lack faith, They question Jesus, they stumble, they fall, they get back up. But from the beginning, they recognize that this life of discipleship to Jesus is worth more than anything else in this world. And they're willing to lay down their security and their comfort and everything that's familiar to them in order to be with Jesus and to let their lives take shape after his. Now, not surprisingly, this isn't how everyone responded to Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, we see people respond to him in all kinds of different ways. There are people who were intrigued by Jesus and what he was doing, uh, but they kind of kept their distance and stayed in the crowd. There were people who followed Jesus for a little while, but then the teaching got too difficult and they ended up walking away from him. There were people who were curious about him and who came to him with questions. And there were people who were infuriated by him and who very early on started plotting a way to kill him. But there's one other passage specifically that I want to look at this morning, because I think that most of us can relate to the struggle that this person finds themselves 
in, uh, when they're in this situation of decision, when Jesus invites them to follow him. Because even in those moments, uh, even, even those of us who have moments where we're all in, like those first four disciples, or, or even those of us who like at the core of who we are want to be people who live with that posture of full surrender, find ourselves in moments and situations where that doesn't come easily, right? or find ourselves being pulled towards things that get in the way of our relationship to Christ. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn ahead, uh, Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 16 to 22. 19 verses 16 to 22. It says this. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? So if someone comes to Jesus with a question that would have been really common to bring to a rabbi at this time. He asks what he would need to do in order to have eternal life. Verse 17. Why do you ask me about what's good? Jesus replied. There's only one who's good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. And so Jesus gives this man a little bit of correction. He says, why are you asking me what's good? God's the only one who's good. And Jewish people knew this. God's the one who's good. If you want to, if you want to have eternal life, do what God says. Right? Obey his commandments. And then in verse, verse 18, uh, the man says, which ones? And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Now, Matthew leaves out a detail that the gospel of Mark includes in this moment. Mark tells us that in this moment, Jesus looked at the man and felt genuine love for him. Not judgment, not frustration. Jesus felt genuine love for the person that stood before him. And then verse 21, Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then... Come, it's the invitation. Follow me. Come follow me. So did you catch what happened there? This man has been asking Jesus about what laws he needs to follow in order to have eternal life. And Jesus engages in this conversation on, on this man's terms, right? This is how the system kind of worked at this time. But when he hears the man express a desire for more, a desire to go deeper, a desire to live the kind of life that God wants him to live. He leaves behind the conversation about the law and Jesus invites this young man to follow him. There's just one thing that he needs to do first. There's one thing that's holding this man back from the life that Jesus has to offer him. And that's his money. He was a rich young man. And so Jesus tells him to sell all of his belongings and to give away the money to the poor so that he can be free to follow Jesus with all that he's got. 
So let's look at verse 22 and see how he responds. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. He couldn't bring himself to do it. And he walks away sad. I love that the text gives us this detail. He walks away sad. It's like he knew that he was missing out on something big, on something important, but he was clinging so tightly to the security and the status and the pleasures that came along with having all of that wealth. And he couldn't let go of it. And so in the first story, we get a picture of what it looks like to be captured by Jesus' mission in the world and to lay down our modern-day nets and everything that they represent in order to follow him and enter into the way of life that he invites us into. And in the second story, we get a picture of what it looks like to be held hostage by the things in this world that trick us into believing that they can offer us meaning or significance or security. And as a result, to miss out on the fullness of life that Jesus offers us. So where do you find yourself between those two postures this morning? Is there anything that you're holding onto that's getting in the way of your ability to follow Jesus? Maybe for you, it's, it's uh, money, like the man that we heard about in the story. Maybe you're making all of your decisions based on what will bring you financial security and clinging to what you have rather than seeing everything as a gift from God and holding it with an open hand. Maybe you're trying to find your significance through your work and missing out on spending time with your family and with God because it's consuming your entire life. Maybe you're living for the approval of others or chasing after pleasure in things that don't last. Maybe you're clinging tightly to comfort or to control and ignoring the nudges that you've been sensing that God's calling you into something new. There are so many things that we chase after and try to hold on to, hoping that they'll bring us the security and purpose and significance that ultimately can only be found in Christ. When I was a kid, uh, one of my all-time favorite arcade games was the claw machine. You guys know the claw machine? When I was growing up, we didn't have a video game console at my house, and there was no such thing as iPads or iPhones. And so the way that I got my gaming thrills was through the claw machine that you could kind of come across at malls sometimes or at arcades. And if you're familiar with it, you know, the, the way that the game works is you uh, use a joystick to move around a metal claw over top of this giant pile of stuffies and toys. And you do the best you can to get the claw lined up over top of the toy that you're, you have your little heart set on, and then you press a button and the claw drops down and it closes over top of it, and the hope is that it'll pick up the toy and carry it over to the chute and that it will dispense it into your little hands. But the thing that made this claw machine uh, so addictive 
was that you were always extremely close. You were always so close to getting what you wanted. Uh, you've been there. If you've played this game, you know what this feels like. You're always so close to getting the thing that you wanted. The claw would sometimes pick up a toy by its ear and then just drop it. Or it would like fully surround the head of the little stuff you want and then it would just kind of graze the side of it and come up empty. And so you would walk away with this sense that if you just gave it one more shot, the stuffy of your dreams would be yours. And so would all of the happiness and fulfillment that would come along with it, but it never actually happened. It was the biggest shatterer of childhood dreams that I ever came face to face with. But really, most of us spend a good chunk of our adult lives playing something like the claw game. We grasp at these things that we think will satisfy us and bring us the life that we want. And sometimes it feels like we've got it in our hands, if only for a moment. But it never really holds. Meanwhile, Jesus puts us in the same point of decision that we see him put people into again and again throughout the Gospels. He invites us to lay down the things of this world and to follow him, to find our identity and our purpose and our sense of significance and belonging as we walk with him and experience his love and his transforming grace. Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, For my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? In John 10, verse 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus doesn't promise us an easy life, right? In fact, just the opposite. He tells us that we're going to have pain and difficulty to get through in this broken world that's been impacted by sin. But in the midst of that, he offers us real life, eternal life, life to the full. And he promises that he'll be with us through all of it and that one day he'll return to set everything right once and for all. And so it's in Christ alone that we can find hope. Because as Paul said in Romans 8 verse 11, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. We follow a God who specializes in resurrection and bringing life from death and in taking the worst imaginable situations and in using them for good. It's in Christ that we can experience wholeness as he heals the broken and fractured parts inside of us, and as he reminds us who we are and fills us with his peace. It's in Christ that we have freedom 
Freedom from the sin that once kept us in bondage. Freedom from fear. Freedom from shame. In Christ, we're free to be who God made us to be and to live the kind of life that God designed us to live. It's Jesus who shows us what love looks like and how to lay down our lives for others so that the world can experience the kingdom of God through us. It's in Christ and in Christ alone that we have real life. Life to the full through all of life's ups and downs and ultimately for all of eternity. A life of discipleship to Jesus is worth so much more than anything else that we might try to hold on to. So what does this look like in practice? Obviously, following Jesus looks different today than it did for his first disciples when Jesus was here walking the earth. And often when we realize we've kind of gone off track and need to realign ourselves with the ways of Jesus, we start focusing on all of the things we need to do, right? We come up with Bible reading plans and we decide we're gonna get up early to pray more or we sign up for another small group. And all of those things are important. They're all good. They're all practices that can help to draw us closer to God. But following Jesus isn't about trying really hard, or doing more things, or coming up with some sort of complex spiritual self-help plan. Discipleship is at its core about being with Jesus. It's about living with more and more awareness of his presence with us, and then learning to become more like him as we let his spirit transform us from the inside out. It's about living with a posture of openness to God's presence and activity more than it is about putting together a lengthy to-do list of things we need to do to kind of get ourselves back on track. We've talked about uh, the infinitum posture prayer here at Evergreen in the past. Um, Some of you are probably familiar with it. Some of you have probably practiced it with us. An infinitum is a rhythm of discipleship that's focused on three postures that realign us with the ways of Jesus and on what it looks like to live them out in real life. And there's more to it than just the prayer. Uh, There are all kinds of resources that you can get that are based on these postures on the Infinitum website, and so I'll put up the URL there. So you're welcome to check that out and use those resources if you'd like to. Uh, But this morning, as we think about what it would look like to move into this next season as people who are held together by our shared commitment to follow Jesus... I want, to, uh, to, I want to draw us back to those three postures, to the postures of surrender and generosity and mission. Because these are the postures that we're called to as followers of Jesus. And these are postures uh, that help to shape us into people who experience God's love and then who reflect it to others. And so the first posture is surrender. And nobody modeled what it looks like to live out of a posture of surrender better than Jesus. When Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was preparing to head to the cross, this is what he prayed. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. That is what surrender looks like. Living from a posture of surrender means recognizing that our lives aren't about 
us. There's something bigger that God is doing in the world that we're a part of and that we can trust God with every single aspect of our existence, that we can trust him with our plans, with our futures. We can trust him with our families, with our finances. We can trust him with our strengths and our weaknesses, with our fears and our opportunities. To live in a posture of surrender is to be willing to lay down our nets and to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. The second posture is generosity. And in our consumeristic culture, we are constantly striving for more and clinging tightly to the things that we have. But as followers of Jesus, we recognize that everything we have is a gift. It's a gift from our generous God who's never worried that there's not gonna be enough to go around. And so as his followers We're called to be people who live with open hands and with open hearts towards others. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says to his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. Freely you've received, freely give. We're called to be people who freely give to others because we have a good God who so freely gives to us. And the third posture is mission. To live in a posture of mission is to live uh, in a posture of engagement. It's about openness and commitment to others. It's so easy for us to just kind of spectate, to stand on the sidelines and to critique other people from a distance. It's so easy for us to kind of stand back from messy situations, right, and just kind of say, you know, it's, it's, it's not my problem. But Jesus always entered in. He always entered in to the messiness of people's lives. And he calls us to be people who who take the time to see others, who see others and who are willing to get involved. And he calls us to be people who are constantly seeking to find ways to bring God's love and light into difficult situations. Surrender, generosity, and mission. So these are the postures that Jesus calls us to as his followers. And they're the postures that open us up to God's transforming presence as we go about our day-to-day lives. To close this morning, I'm going to read Romans 12, uh, verses 1 to 2 from the message. And then I'm going to invite you to actually walk through this prayer with me. We're going to close by practicing the infinitum posture prayer. But first, let me read Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. And I want to encourage you as, you, as you hear this, just imagine Paul saying this directly to you <laughs> as we read it. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. You catch that? That's powerful. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. 
unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Amen. Would you stand and would you just join me in uh, walking through this posture prayer? We're going to walk like this. This is a prayer where we're actually going to do gestures together. And I know it might feel kind of silly uh, to be standing there doing them. But sometimes the things that make us feel awkward are actually the things that are healthiest for us. And praying uh, with our entire bodies is really just a way of saying to God that we are all in, that we're fully here and that we want to live this out with our whole selves. And so we're going to walk through a version of this prayer where we're going to make a confession, and then we're going to walk through the postures. Um, So first, I'm just going to invite you, just uh, let's take a moment to center yourself in God's presence. Just remember that God is here, that he's as close as the air that you're breathing, that you are surrounded by and filled with his love. And now fix your attention on Jesus. On Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. On Jesus, who radiates God's glory, who shows us the very character of God. Let's take a moment to to fix your attention on Jesus. And I'm going to invite you to first hold up your hands in fists if you'd like to hold up your hands and fists to make this confession say I confess that my natural posture is to fight for myself it's to take control it's to try to do things my own way and with your hands and fists I'm going to invite you to just take a moment to think about those areas of your life where you're holding on to control where you're trying to take things into your own hands Just name that before God. Now we raise our hands above our heads. Today we choose a posture of surrender. We pray, God, I give up. My life is not about me. You be in charge. I give you this day. I give you my life. I trust you with all of my fears and my failures. I trust you with my successes and my opportunities. God, I trust you with everything that this this day holds. Today, I choose surrender. Now, I'm going to invite you to put your hands in front of you and to just close them like this uh, into fists. We say, I confess that my natural posture is to take things for myself. It's to cling tightly to what I have. So take a minute now to think about some of those things that you're holding on to too tightly, things that you're afraid to lose. Just name those before God. And now we open up our hands. And we remember that every good and perfect gift comes from God. And so now with hands open, just take a moment to ask God for what it is that you need today. You say, God, we need your mercy, your love, 
Take a moment to ask God for what you need today. Then we choose to hold our hands open, to keep them open, and to freely give what we've freely received from God. Today we choose a posture of generosity. Now let's cross our arms in front of our chest like this. This morning we confess that our natural posture is to spectate. It's to critique. It's to stand on the sidelines and to say, it's not my problem. So now take a moment to think about those areas of of your life where you've been setting yourself apart, where you've been standing at a distance, where you've been judging others and criticizing people who try. Now we open up our hands in a posture of mission. Those areas of life that we once judged, those areas that we once distanced ourselves from others. Today we choose to embrace God's kingdom mission. We say, God, we are available. Today we choose a posture of mission. So God, I pray that you would help us to live out of these postures today and every day moving forward. I pray, God, that you would help us to be a church, a community of people who are actually following you, who didn't just make a decision once, God, but who are deciding every day that we want you to be our teacher, that we want your spirit to be uh, the source of our power, to be our guide, to be the one leading us forward. God, I pray that we would live lives of love as you've shown us how to do by giving up your life for us. God, we love you and we trust you. In your name, amen.